Well, hi there, everybody. Sorry to interrupt your other podcasts that you're listening to, but a little uh, fun announcement to make here. Casey, in summertime, we'd like to get up to some antics. And those antics would involve getting a bunch of nerds together and doing what nerds do best, yelling at each other. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So we are going to do Nerd Debate live this year. <gasps> Nerd Debate 5 live. There we in go. Person. Boom. That yes. is the subtitle. We just came up with it. We will be doing this at the amazing Bullfinch Brew Pub here in Syracuse, New York. So find all the information that you need at our social media or at nightshiftradio.com. We've drank Bullfinch's beer before. Dave, the brewmaster at Bullfinch, makes amazing beers. Check out the amazing stuff that's happening in Bullfinch. You can go to bullfinchbrewpub.com. Come join us on Saturday, July the 29th at 7.30 and be sure to be ready to listen to a bunch of nerds <laughs> argue with each other. <laughs> Alright, we're going to leave your podcast now. Goodbye. <laughs> You're listening to the Never Heard of It podcast. A Night Shift Radio original. Every week we bring you the good, the bad, the weird, and lesser known streaming movies. Hit subscribe for new episodes every Thursday and Sunday. Now, we've done a lot of Nicolas Cage movies so far. We've done a good amount. I mean, there's a lot of Nicolas Cage movies. We've done a yes. good amount of Nicolas Cage movies. I, I would go so far as to say that we have not done enough, but I'm following you so far, yes. Yeah. I, you know, uh, you know, we, we did, uh, I, you know, I would say Lord of War is uh, probably one of his more serious roles, let's mm-hmm, say, mm-hmm. because it, it's kind of based off a, a, a dramatic event. You know, it wasn't kind of cartoonized like Willy's Wonderland or, yeah. you know, the thing, the type of movies we've seen him in, you know, and it had, it's not silly intentionally. I think this is probably one of uh, the movies that I was like, oh, right. Like, Nicolas Cage really can act. Like, he mm-hmm. can. And mm-hmm. I forget sometimes because he's always a caricature. Well, and it's it's been a wild couple of years too, because as you mentioned, Willie's Wonderland that like we we reviewed uh, a few months back and talked about how Nicolas Cage delivers this absolutely spectacular, spot on performance without saying a word for the entire film, and how like intense that is. And then you shift like entirely the opposite direction to the unbearable weight of massive talent, which also came out this year. Uh, so you know, over the, the past like 2021, 2022, uh, these these films have been coming out. Uh, unbearable weight of massive talent was Nicolas Cage getting a chance to just be Nicolas Cage and like take that as over the top as he wanted to. And so like we we see this this broad spectrum of what he's capable of. But yeah, I feel like. He most often gets cast because people love Nicolas Cage, not because they think of him as an actor, sure. but because they're like, when I think of this character, it's Nicolas Cage, go. Uh, and that works. I love that. But you're right. We don't really get to see him like explore acting and character development outside of, I'm Nicolas Cage, I'm Nicolas fucking cage (laughs) (laughs) right Uh, yeah i mean you know it's very interesting because you know we know that he comes from acting royalty you know uh yeah uh, for those of you who have not listened to our last like 12 episodes on on a nick cage movie nick cage is a coppola 
you know, he he comes from, you know, a family of Coppola's, you know, we have uh, Francis, Jason Schwartzman is a Coppola, uh, you know, uh, we've got a lot. What What is... Um, Sophia, of course. Sophia Coppola is who I was thinking of. Where she did yes. Marie Antoinette, right? That was mm-hmm, yep, mm-hmm. yeah. Which great, great film, um, by the way. Um, yeah, so like we know that he comes from a family that knows what the hell they're doing, mm-hmm. but for some reason, and I think it's just because of who he is and he plays it so well, he only gets to play Nicolas Cage roles. Uh, it's like he got typecast really early on as this kind of like like goofy but handsome elvish-ish type like yeah. washed up rock star but like big personality and like he he's 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 going to do more more acting with his eyes yeah. as he's as he's staring at you man yeah There it is. Then right? <laughs> yeah. With too the bad hands this is, too, and the this hands is are always up. Not a visual medium, so no one but you got the chance to experience what I just did there. But the intensity was, in the eyes. It, <laughs> it was sold it. Uh but that being uh, but yeah, said, the eyes, the hands, the 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 like the kind of like the staccato movements that he has, a very like kind of like jerkiness. Um like not quite as cartoonish as say like a Kramer, uh, but sure. like in in that kind of vibe, yeah. Like I just I feel like he got cast in that that bubble young and didn't really break out of it, and it got to a point where like I'm not sure he even cared about breaking out of it anymore. And like the unbearable weight of massive talent does dive into that a little bit of like you know who am I actually? Uh, you know right. am I my roles? Am I you know someone? Am I more like? Um, but in the end, like, we just don't see it very often until now, until now. Yeah. You know, I I mean, there, you know, we have talked about this before about like people like Will Ferrell, who is Will Ferrell on every movie, but then every so often you get, you know, uh, um, uh, Melinda, Melinda or stranger than fiction or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And you get those sort of serious roles and you're like, Oh, right. You know, but like conversely, you know, people kind of dump on on people like Will Ferrell and Nick Cage because they always end up playing that very specific person. But like, did you say anything about like Humphrey Bogart when right. he played the same character in every single film for like right. 10 films? What about Errol Flynn? Did we did we shit on Errol Flynn? I mean, we did because he was a misogynist, racist piece of shit, but, uh. but not for his roles because he always played the, you know, swashbuckling, daring do-gooder, I guess. I actually asked without a trace of irony in my voice uh, to some some friends when the, the subject of Connery came up the other day. Did Connery ever do an accent that wasn't Sean Connery? No. Yeah. I I mean, maybe maybe very early in his career, maybe he pulled off a little bit of a more English and less Scottish. But uh, I, like, I would say arguably for all of the roles he is known for. You yeah. know, even going back to the seventies, no, he was Sean Connery and everything. Yeah, I don't ever recall seeing Sean Connery portray a character who was not just Sean Connery. Like, oh, you're a you know the um, you know Eastern European submarine pilot. Sure, it's believable that you're Scottish. Yeah, like, what? Right? <laughs> like, like, sure, like, we'll go with that. Nobody bats an eye about that, and like, yeah. 
I'm not here complaining about that. That was an honest question on my part because I couldn't think of a single time that that, that happened. So, like, this is not an uncommon thing in acting. And I, I would extend it to say it's not really an uncommon thing for people to just be themselves whatever job they have. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I To the Sean Connery thing, I also think it's really funny that we were uh, basically accepting the fact that he had the last name of Jones but was Scottish and raised a son who just had a very, like, New York accent. <laughs> and we were just going to be like, yeah, that makes sense. Henry yeah. Jones Sr. Henry Jones Sr. Yep. You're totally That's... Scottish. That name really sells it. <laughs> One of my favorite Halloween costumes of all time. Assembled primarily from thrift stores. Ah, that's... Uh, I, had, I had the suit, I had the, the fedora, I had a bow tie. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and you already have the gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that being said, hello and welcome to the Never Heard of It podcast, seven and a half minutes in. I'm your host, Michael Fight, And I'm Sabrina Buckets. What? So we, uh, if you have not guessed uh, from the title of this episode, we're talking about uh, the 2021 film Pig starring Nicolas Cage. Now, I, I, when I, this is, today was my first time ever watching this movie, right? Same. Um, and a lot of people back when this movie came out compared it to John Wick. Right. And I think that did it a disservice. I, I would agree. I, I very much went into this film expecting uh, more more John Wick. And uh, without spoiling too much in advance, what we really got is something more akin to a Michael Pollan Netflix documentary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, this this film is is wrought with drama. This is a mm-hmm. this is a dramatic film. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, there you know, there's I, I would even say that the one scene of action in this movie was kind of off-putting because it felt completely unnecessary. I'll be honest. Mm. Like the only that's the only scene in this movie where I'm like, I'm not sure why we're doing this this way. Considering like especially retrospectively, when I'm looking back, I'm like, why did we do that? Like that it doesn't that doesn't feel like this makes sense like this is not it felt it felt like it was it was leading me down that john wick path but it really what it really isn't it's yeah. it's kind of the other side of that i mean yes the premise is the same uh, a man you know has a a great relationship with a a pet um you know it's a, it's a it's a very loving relationship because it's part of a larger picture of what the pet symbolizes and then that thing is is taken away from it, and that person goes and seeks, you know, uh, it back or retribution for it being taken. Mm-hmm. But the outcomes are completely different. Whereas John Wick, you know, went and killed a man with a pencil. Yeah, with a fucking pencil. With a fucking pencil. You know, uh, conversely, Rob, the character, the character uh, Nick Cage plays, defeats a man. By cooking him a meal that makes him feel an emotional connection. And I think that is that is insane. I love that. Like that is such a huge, like great, well-written idea. This movie did a better job of subverting my expectations than almost anything I've watched in a very long time. So uh for those of you who are interested in watching it, if you you have Hulu here in the States, it is currently streaming on Hulu. Uh I'm not sure where else. I actually uh when this movie came out, I went straight ahead and bought it uh from from I don't know, like do they still call it iTunes? I don't know. I'm old. I just 
Apple. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I don't bought know. It from, I think so. But I, I, I added it to my collection of owned media, which is small, but uh, there there are things that I that I take joy in, uh, and Nicolas Cage is is a, is a source of joy for me. So I just went straight ahead and bought. I mean, I did the same thing when uh, um, the the Color Out of Space uh, came out. Yeah. Uh, I just straight up purchased that uh, and you know, didn't watch it right away. I came back to it when I was ready, uh, and it took me a lot longer to get around to watching this than I expected. Uh, but am I glad I bought it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, so so the uh, the IMDb description for this movie is a truffle hunter who lives alone in the Oregon wilderness must return to his past in Portland in search of his beloved foraging pig after she is kidnapped. I think this is one of the first IMDb descriptions we have done in a long time that actually described the plot of this movie. Accurately. That's much more accurate than what I thought the movie was. Right, right. You know, like in reading, I was like, oh no, like they left out all the fact that like he was a former CIA ops killer assassin who was posing as a ship. That's not what this movie's about at all. And I was like, oh, that's a, that's a good description, actually. I assumed all along that, that he was a chef and I can hear the, the like two people who were paying attention for this entire month and say like, oh, but you had a theme. How does this fit into the theme? Uh, I, I assumed that he, that he was a chef and that he was just a chef. Uh, but when the, you know, when the, the pig is stolen, I, I thought he would go full John Wick, you know, regardless of training, I thought he would just sure. do it. Uh, but really when you break down, like the, this story is about a man who like, he, he was fairly well known in, in a you know, bustling food scene. He was, he was doing some, some cool things at his restaurant. He experienced some sort of. Uh, vague, undescribed, implied loss, uh, presumably his wife, uh, and decided to to detach himself from from civilization, from capitalism, from the restaurant industry, from people's expectations, uh, yeah. and find his own sense of freedom uh, in the woods with just his his beloved pig. Uh, and so there's where it ties in with the theme. It's a stretch, I know, but I just wanted to watch this movie. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I do kind of feel it. It is it is his freedom to detach himself, from, you know, from society that that want to just kind of be left alone. And you know, he makes a very great speech later on, which is kind of nihilistic. He he's a little nihilistic and kind of a pessimist. You know, yep. at one point he describes uh, to one of the other characters that he interacts with, he's like. Yeah, well, in a couple of years, there's going to be an earthquake and everyone's going underwater. So fuck it. You know, and it was going to like, dang, dude, <laughs> calm down. And then he has another conversation with a chef later where he's like, do you think these people care about you? And he's talking about customers and, and like critics and all that. He's like, do you think any of these people care about you? They don't care about you or what you're mm -hmm. doing or what you're saying you're doing or the mission you're doing. Like none of these people care about you and you don't even care about them either. You know, what did you say to me you really wanted to do? You know, and like he he talks ah, about like you fell I into this, like I well, I have to do because this is what people want. People don't want it's like you were her, you were a line cook for me for two months. I fired you because you kept overcooking the pasta. But what did you tell me when I fired you? What did you, what was your dream to open a pub? Why didn't you open your pub? Well, no, but nobody wants pubs anymore. It's a, it's a bad investment. Like what what was going to be on your menu? And he just kind of really pushes him about like what this man's passion was and how he's given up his passion for 
uh, a, a sense of of acceptance in this really kind of like bullshit, uh, like foodie and like critic driven world where like people will people will talk about how something is exciting, but not necessarily how it's good. Yeah, yeah, and you know, e- even in the same restaurant, like we get that sort of like. Uh, you know, stereotypical, the the meal that they're served is like three dots of, you know, a garnish and like a sauce. And that's about it, where it's not like a real meal. You know, it's not a meal per se. It's more of an art piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people accept it as a meal. And they're like, oh, it was so delicious. I'm like, no, it wasn't. It was cool mm-hmm. because it was art. It's a no different than watching runway shows. Nobody's going to wear those shit clothes. It's art. You just watch <laughs> it because it looks cool. It is entirely possible that that one tiny bite on your plate has like just a burst of excellent flavor, but that's not a meal. That is that is a tease. That is a sample. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and this isn't to to kind of like push down chefs who do that stuff because you know, from my perspective, I do see it as art. Yeah, but it's I still absolutely think that still it's, art. Yeah, I mean, it definitely. I mean, even no matter what, I think even diner uh, cooks do art. Uh, but that's a that's a whole other conversation. Um, it, that is real art. You want to know? Uh, <laughs> but uh, but you know, it, I think it's been overcapitalized so much so that it, it's being thought of in the wrong way, right? But that's a, mm. another conversation. So the film starts off and we immediately are introduced to Rob who is uh, out and about and he is, you know, search he search for truffles with with his pig, they dig him up. You see that he has this really great relationship with them. Uh and in walks the character of Amir. Uh Amir is played by Alex Wolf uh who if you've watched movies in the past like 5 years, you have seen Alex Wolf in something. Uh most notably he's one of the main characters in in the, the new Jumanji movies. Uh, he's the one who turns into The Rock. Um, he was just in the movie Old, uh, which was mm-hmm. really fucking weird, by the way. That was a really weird, weird movie. I, I can't say it was good, but also it was fucking weird. That's... I mean, <laughs> Shyamalan. It, Shyamalan trying to figure out how to still make movies in a world where people just shit on his entire formula i well i mean that's the thing like it it just became so expected that like you're like well where's the twist you know and said he just you know he's kind of like you know it reminds me of that simpsons thing where where bart becomes famous for saying like one line and everyone keeps being like say the line bart you know so i feel like m night Shyamalan is that guy where everyone's like where's the twist and he's like fine i i don't know it's a pharmaceutical company and everyone's like yeah and he's like, fine, whatever. I don't fucking care anymore. You know, like that's where I feel like he is at at this point. It's not his fault. He just he fell into the Nicolas Cage. Fuck, I gotta be weird and stare at the camera with my shaking hands and crazy eyes. Um, um, same thing. He's also going to be in an upcoming uh, Nolan directed uh, story about uh, Robert Oppenheimer. Oh yeah, that's a there's like a really crazy cast in that film, right? Matthew Modine, Jack Quaid, Killian Murphy, Florence yeah. Pugh, Emily yeah. Blunt, Matt Damon, Downey, Brana, Malik, Oldman, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Damn. <laughs> that's just like Yes. <laughs> it's just like they looked at the Oscars guest list and was like, that's our cast. There it is. <laughs> and everyone's like, all right, cool. Let's go do that. We'll just call those people up. <laughs> that's wild. Yeah. I feel like no one bought himself enough cred to to 
go for a while making these these weird pieces with like whoever the fuck he wants to cast. Yeah. I you know, I kind of feel like James Cameron missed an opportunity to do that. Like I feel oh. like James Cameron could have, but I think he obsessed about Avatar way too much and I think oh that's what ruined his credibility to me at least. I know people are going to go ape shit over Avatar 2, but like I think it's going to be really dumb. I think you're going to see a huge fall off in it. The first one wasn't good. Why wasn't. would I want to see another? I don't understand. And the, especially like oh, for a decade later. Yeah. I, I think it's really funny because he, he recently was in an article saying like, oh, people better not complain because my movie is, you know, three hours long or over three hours long. And it's like, no, nah, man, like we aren't going to complain that it's three hours long. We're going to complain that it's 20 years too late and nobody gives a shit about your blue people anymore. Like, it's not cool anymore. Like, what made Avatar cool was, like, watching Jurassic Park in 1993 is that nobody saw effects like that before, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's like watching Star Wars in 77. Nobody saw effects like that then. And so when you did, you were like, holy shit, this is wild. This is like watching The Matrix in 1999. Holy shit, this is wild. But now if you see Bullet Time, you're like, meh. You know, like yeah. it's no different. Like now I'm seeing blue people and I'm like, nah. Yeah, I <laughs> I can promise that I won't complain about the length of Avatar because I won't be sitting through it. Yeah, I, yeah, there's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like James Cameron is a good director, right? You know, like yeah. outside of Titanic, I, I mean, Titanic, uh, you one could argue is a good movie. I don't like it, but uh, whatever. But you, James Cameron's done great movies, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, I feel like he he could have been Nolan before Nolan, but he he just obsessed over weird shit, and I feel like he he kind of lost chances uh, to make really good movies. Um, yeah, you know. So, it, uh, you know, it is whatever. If you're an Avatar fan, great. Welcome back to getting unobtainium. He named it unobtainium, right? Like, yep. it was unobtainium. Come on. Did uh, just, I, I, I took a quick look at his, uh, IMDb page just because I was trying to remember like what else was, was he involved in? Cause I knew it was big, big names in, in cinema. I just like, yeah, I'm tired today. So they, they weren't coming to my head, but the top three things on his writer credits are a, uh, three, four and five in the avatar series. <laughs> so like going all the way out through 2028. So like, not only does he think that people actually want this movie like 30 years after the original, but he thinks that we want three more after. Yeah, over the course of the next, what, 15 Actually, years? Actually, you know what? That is an unfair statement. It is not fair of me to uh, to put words in James Cameron's mouth to say that he thinks that we want this. He wants this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That is a correct. That is a correct assessment. He definitely wants it. But I mean, like you know, James Cameron did Terminator. He did. Yeah. Um, what's the uh, What's the ocean one with uh, those people? Was it a bit the Abyss? Is that what that one was called? That I, mean, I love yes. that movie. Was he? Did he direct the Abyss? Because yes. Uh, yeah. I, I, yes, he did. He yeah, did the Abyss. Uh, I love that movie. I was you know the original Aliens. Yep. Uh, and like, yeah, he's, he's had his hands in a bunch of shit as like writer, producer, director, whatnot, but like he's known for, for big deal stuff and just, just decided that Avatar is the, is the hill he wants to die on. He, he wants his career to end there. All right. I mean, 
whatever. Uh, but, but anyways, back to Pig. So we're introduced <laughs> to, uh, again, the char- uh, Alex Wolf, who is playing the character of Amir. Now, Amir uh, is kind of Rob's only connection to the modern world at this point. And Amir mm-hmm. stops by and basically trades uh, truffles um, for things that Rob needs, you know, general things Rob needs to survive. Groceries, mm-hmm. you know, uh, things to fix his house, etc. Like, just very, like, things to survive. It's not nothing fancy, you know? Yeah, like, this man has literally found a way to just go live by himself in the woods with a steady stream of necessities, and all he has to do is occasionally find a very expensive mushroom. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a good life. I'm not. I'm yeah. not gonna lie. Yeah. Uh, I think truffles are gross, but like, good for this dude. Yeah, good for this dude. So uh, you know, we we immediately get the connection between him and the pig. You know, it's very like, you know, man's best friend uh, type scenario. You know, and that being said, I've I've known people who actually have pigs as pets. They're basically mm-hmm. just dogs too. Like, yeah, they're exactly like dogs. They're there was. There was someone who used to walk their potbelly pig right around downtown. That's awesome. Right here, and, yeah. That's great. Yeah, I mean they're they're great. They're silly uh, animals. Um, so we get that immediate connection. We understand that Amir, you know, Amir kind of lets us know that Rob was an important person at some point. Like he he was a very well like he's not well known for truffles. He is well known because of he was a chef. Uh, and Amir's job is basically to sell uh, high end ingredients to uh, high end um, restaurants and restaurateurs. Mm-hmm. So shortly after Amir leaves, uh, who Amir drives his very fancy yellow Camaro, uh, and shortly after he leaves, um, we we get a bust in on uh, Rob's house, and you know somebody kind of you know smacks him around, steals his pig, hauls ass out of there, and thus our story begins. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was really interesting that this movie is divided into uh, two parts, right? I didn't three. I, was there a three? I missed there the was, third title, I think. There were three parts, and they were named after for dishes. So the first was uh, rust, Rustic Mushroom Tart. Yep. Uh, the third was Mom's uh, French Toast and Deconstructed um, Scallops, yep. which is a reference not to a, a specific dish, but to a couple of dishes that were referenced. So like when Amir talks about his family, and he, like, he makes French toast, uh, and... and um, Rob gives him advice about it. Yeah. Uh, and then later when they're at the 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 chef restaurant that we talked about earlier where you know like Rob knows him and you used to work for him. Um they have this weird scallop dish that is very like gastronomy like mm-hmm. all of this like the 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 smoke of a pine cone and all, uh which honestly like I would try it. Uh yeah. and then the third one uh, I forget what the the name of the the third chapter was, but um, it's referencing the the third dish is. It, it was referencing a, uh, the final meal, right? Is like a, like a pigeon in wine sauce sort of thing. Um, and they actually in the end credits they give credits to the chefs who like made those dishes. So the the mushroom tart and the the pigeon dish uh, awesome. are both credited to chefs, which is cool because you see that they are beautifully prepared. Uh, they are like really well made, well crafted meals each time, uh, and I think that that like like I like the idea that Nick Cage learned the process of like making the dough for, for the tart and was like guided through like laying it out and everything. But like, <clears throat> I don't believe that Nick Cage is a, a a you know like a 
classically trained chef that is going to be creating these dishes. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think that that's true. So it's cool that they brought in someone who could advise and say, like, I'm going to create this beautiful thing for you. And when you show it on camera, it is going to look exactly like it would in my restaurant. Yeah, I I, I will say that uh, the food did look great and it looked Mm -hmm. real. Um, You know, where oftentimes you see meals, uh, you know, in movies and you're like, well, that's cardboard or what you know whatever like you know yeah. it's not real this very much felt like i was watching you know anthony bourdain sit down to a meal like it very it felt real um which mm-hmm, i thought was mm-hmm. really really great uh it kind of added to to it all but yeah so we mentioned how like it we we went into this thinking it's going to be a full like revenge thriller where the pig gets taken and cage goes on a rampage through the city like busting heads until he gets his pig back but that doesn't happen at at all like it just becomes this journey of this like tired like raggedy kind of discarded old man who like nobody takes seriously at first uh like going around the city talking to people trying just just trying to find any information about who has his pig it's almost more of a detective story than it is uh, it's it's I would say definitively more of a detective story than it is an action story because it's not an action story at all. It's not an action story at all, and this comes to my point of uh, the you know one of the next scenes uh, you know big scenes comes to my point of where it felt out of place. So uh, I you think know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So Amir uh, comes and picks up uh, you know Rob, and he's like. I need to find my pig. He starts going around and asking. He finds that, like, you know, two uh, druggy, you know, guys basically, you know, were hired to steal the pig and, you know, get it to this person, to some person who is of wealth and power that we know of. But they're like, yeah, we don't know who he is. He just paid us a bunch of money to go get this pig and deliver it to him. And so we did. Mm-hmm. And eventually stumbles into this weird underground fight club where we see that he had been there in the past and and this is definitely like uh i'm jaded in the world and i need to do something to make me feel a thing we see that in his past he was involved in this where basically you you sit there and just get your ass kicked and the longer you last the more money you make basically yeah, I, I liked that that approach to it because it wasn't two people like actively duking it out. It was like basically like one person gets called out, they stand there, arms behind their back, and just last as long as they can. And like the more well known you are, whether it be famous or infamous, the more likely there's going to be for for bets to to drive up the the price. And we see that um, Cage hunts down this this dude that he knows uh, from the scene at this really kind of fucking like it's a all right i'm not going to insult portland on 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 the <laughs> podcast it is what i would consider a very typical portland scene of this very gross looking like food cart roundup not even like proper trucks uh with a guarantee not a health permit in sight uh, <laughs> and the guys like look man your name doesn't mean shit anymore like nobody knows you nobody cares about you so okay like, rob goes to this underground fight scene Fight Club thing, he puts his name up on the wall and everyone stops. And there's there's at least one person who's willing to take you know, take his ag- aggression out on Rob. Uh, so clearly his name does still mean something in this town. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, now, I, I do understand the purpose of this scene, right? Uh, the purpose of the scene is to shed light on um, Cage's, on Rob's 
character before he decided to subtract himself from society, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this is the show that he became so numb to everything that was happening, to what had happened to him, that he this was his, like, I needed something to feel. I just feel like we could have gotten there without this scene. But I don't hate it. I don't, yeah. I'm not like, this scene sucked, I would remove it. I'm just like, I feel like it set a precedent that made, because of how this movie, and I think this probably, they didn't know it was probably going to be compared to John Wick at the time they were writing it and making it, because they yeah. came out roughly around the same time. Um, so I, I just feel like they it, it started to lead people down the wrong path, uh, almost maybe to a detriment. But I'm not, I mean, this is just me saying of like how I felt. And this might be giving too much credit, but I also wonder if maybe they did know that there would be something of a John Wick association, and so they like misled people thinking there's going to be more action because there's the break-in scene where he gets beat upside the head with a, a pan, and like he does not wash his face until the very end of the movie. So he's just walking around beaten and bloody and in like the same like smelly raggedy clothes that like Amir is making fun of at the beginning of the the film, like, you know, puts down a towel when, when Rob gets in his car, like that kind of shit. He doesn't give a fuck. He goes through the entire thing. So I almost feel like this sequence uh, just like sets you up more to think like, oh, he's going to fight back. He's going to fight back. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. He just takes it. Yeah. I, I, and, and then he, he walks over and just says, like, please tell me who took my pig. Right. And the guy just hands him a piece of paper, the same one who told him his name didn't mean anything anymore. Uh, which is great. And, and you know, so I, I think I somewhat um, misspoke and, and was, uh, didn't realize how far apart John Wick and this movie actually were. John Wick didn't come out, came out in 2014, whereas mm -hmm. this movie came out in 2021. So they definitely knew that this well, was going to be paralleled to John Wick. Like, there's no way they didn't. There was a sequel to John Wick recently, right? Uh, there's Which like think, four of them. Yeah. But there was one that came out like in a similar time frame, like within the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's okay. There's been a few. Um, I think uh, uh, chapter two, uh, chapter three came out in 2019, chapter two in 2017. Okay. And John Wick chapter four comes out next year. So I think it is as much about like that movie just being in the larger like public consciousness uh, as anything like it, it, the original was recent enough that people were still talking about it. But then like, you know, we had just had a two and a three and then this movie comes out and then we know that a fourth one is coming. So it's like, it just feels like it fits in this like sub genre of, of revenge thrillers and action movies, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah. And I, you know, uh, great. So he he gets a name, and this is where we kind of get him and Amir spending their time trying to find, um, you know, wh where the pig is, right? You know, Amir, Amir is helping him because he, you know, sees something in him. You know, he's, it, it's not... It, it It doesn't feel like a friendship at the beginning, it very much feels like Amir feels guilty, not because he's involved in stealing the pig, because he isn't. It's it's just he feels guilty because like that's his business, you know, like he makes his money off of Rob. Well, and there was a there was a few times throughout this film that I found myself thinking, like, is this actually Amir's story and not Rob's? And like we get this really great moment where um 
Amir, who was introduced to us, is this kind of like flashy, douchey, like business bro. He's just in it for the money. He's got the fast car yeah. and the the nice apartment and the the, and the, the fancy clothes and everything. Uh, seems very stereotypical. But then, like, he sits down, like he brings this like beaten and like broken and disheveled rub into his home. And you know, the next morning, like he we we have the scene where he cooks some French toast. He's like, "Sorry, I'm not much of a cook." Uh, and he goes into telling a bit of of his childhood story about his parents growing up, uh, about how his dad was super tough, and you know his his mom ended up. You know, he he says that she committed suicide. We find out later that she's still alive, but seemingly just on life support. So there's definitely more untold there. Um, but he we we see a little bit starting to form of a kind of an echo of Rob's experience of of this loss driving him in, in you know in this like really extreme direction. Uh, we get a sense that that happened with Amir's father as well. Like when he lost his mother, he went even more like in this like cold and distant direction. But uh, Amir recalls this one meal. Uh, that they had because they would go out to eat all the time and they would they would fight and they would complain and whatnot. But this one meal that they talked about for years afterward that they just loved the food and the wine and the chef was so great and everything was so special and it really like it felt like that was maybe like one of the few times in Amir's recollection that his parents were happy. Uh, and so like he he tells that story to Rob because it was Rob's restaurant, like. He he knows that Rob was a great chef, and like he like I think that Amir wants to bring that back out of Rob, but like doesn't think that that Rob has it in him anymore. Uh, yeah, you definitely feel once you hear that story where he says like you know my parents talked about that meal for years. It was you know pretty much the best moment of their life, and in turn became the best of mine. Just hearing about that story because they were so happy. Mm-hmm. It it feels like it's it's a it's a cry for help from Amir to Rob to be like, mm-hmm. you've isolated yourself. You're you know you're obsessing with this pig, but like you don't understand the 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 uh, the effect you had on people by making your meals. Like he, it's it's this very subtle, like mm-hmm. under you know like it's kind of under the surface cry of like. Rob, like, you don't understand what you did. Like, you were more than you think. Like, you were a more positive force than you think. And it's great because that moment cultivates in the end of the film, and that breaks this hard exterior of the dad, who, by the way, is also a restaurateur. Like, he uh, sells, you know, high-end products, and Amir does the same thing. Uh, but we find out that there's a rift in their relationship. We, we, you know, as Caleb said, it's because of uh, the incident with uh, Amir's mother. You know, this is where the rift in their relationship came, and we find out that, uh, you know, at one point, Rob and Amir's father actually talk, and, you know, Amir's father says, like, Amir's not ready for this. Like he he can't handle this job. And like that's why I want him to go off and do it on his own, you know, because he's gonna discover he can't do it. And then he'll come to me and I can put him where he needs to be. You know, like he mm-hmm. kind of it it it's not it doesn't sound I the first time I heard him explain it, I was like, yo, what a dick. Like he he's being really mean. And then as I thought about it further, and like once we get to the end of the film, I was like, no. He's trying to save him from this heart from a heartless lifestyle. Like he's mm-hmm. afraid that Amir is gonna become like him and become cold and like this, you know, heartless salesperson because that's what happened to him. 
So he's almost trying to save Amir, right? Like, mm-hmm. but it's it's so subtle. Like, that's another one of those things where like they don't say it. And in the end, they're not like, oh, I get it. It's because like you kind of feel it as the film yeah. progresses. And I think that's great. That's another great example of good writing. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Amir's father, uh, when he is confronted by Rob, he's just like, look, man, like I'm not a minute to anything, but like I'll give you you know, 20,000, 25,000, just walk away, man. Go yep. back to your, your your hovel in the woods with your money and like, you know, get a new pig if you got to just, just do it. Like, and it seems like he's being like really like sleazy business guy. Like I got power. I don't need this. But we fast forward a bit to when Rob has this brilliant idea, like after, after hearing the story of, of Amir's parents, he has this idea. He's going to recreate that meal because as we learn, he says, I remember every meal I ever cooked, every person I ever served. Uh, and so he he remembers that meal and he recreates it with Amir's help, which I think was a really great scene of great like him scene. teaching teaching Amir how to cook and presents it. And Amir's father just like breaks, just absolutely like burst out in tears. Uh, and as a side, I will say I have had meals that have been that have created such an emotional reaction <laughs> in me, they've made me cry. Uh, and, uh, they, they do tend to come from chefs who have the talent to do the weird, crazy gastronomy strip shit that, uh, the, you know, Finway, the, the chef from earlier in the movie did, but also have the connection to food to want to present it in a way that like, no, this is truly a meal. You will feel this, you will experience this and it will nourish you. Which, it, yeah, I mean, again, that's part of the, the true art of it, uh, really. Mm-hmm. So this meal, so he recreates that exact meal, right? They sit down, um, you know, Amir's like, we made you dinner. And he's like, fuck off. And he's like, we made you dinner. Come sit down. And so finally mm-hmm. Amir's dad like comes, sits down, breaks down, as you said. And he says like, hey, listen, the people that we hired, the junkies to get your pig, they were too rough with it. It ended up dying. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And Nicholas K, you know, Rob just falls to his knees. Like he is, he is distraught. And we do get a moment earlier, just before this sort of thing, where Amir's like, you know, I, I don't understand. Like, why is this pig so important? And he was like, he was like, you know, he's like, can't you just get another truffle pig to to find the truffles? Like, you know, my, my dad offered you $25,000. Can't you just go buy another pig? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I didn't need the pig to find the truffles. Like, I knew where to find truffles to begin with. The pig wasn't about the truffles. It was about the companionship. It was about mm-hmm. connecting with something, you know, at at a base emotional level and not you know, this sort of fake relationship, as he, as he says to Finway, of like all these fake people, like they don't mm-hmm. care about you. You know, they just want, they just want to make their money off you. They just, you know, want to ride your coattails. Like they don't care about you. This pig cared about me because I was a companion. And he's like, I, he's like, the trees tell me where it is. They, you know, mm-hmm. that's, I know where they grow. I don't need this pig. And I think that again is another huge statement because it's like, oh fuck like it just sets everything more into perspective you're like jesus christ yeah. like it wasn't just like a this is my livelihood it it, it was to emotional. everyone yeah to everyone around him it's it's just a pig get another one you can keep your business going like yeah. they don't think about it from like they like 
this movie is about loss. It's about grieving. It's about like carrying on through that. And like, we see that in every character. We see that in Rob. We see that in Amir. We see that in Amir's father. We see that in the the woman running the cemetery, watching over Rob and his wife's uh, uh, wine collection and reserving a, a spot for him next to his wife's burial plot. We see that in uh, the person who I guess was maybe one of his sous chefs or something who now runs a bakery in his old restaurant. We see that in every character that gives us any length of time on screen. They are dealing that like Finway, the chef, like is dealing with the loss and like like leaving behind like what his dreams were in order to to fit into this society. And like I love how much of a just like a little slice of each of these characters' uh perspectives we get on that concept. And and it is that like each time he goes to them, they're like, I don't know, man. And then when he's like, Yeah, but and they're like, Shit, you're right. Like I also have this loss. Now I'm sorry. I I can make the connection to why you're feeling this way. And he we you know as you said, you get that little slice, and that's what turns them every time. They're like, Okay, I'll help you. Um, and it's just great. I this this film had way more emotion in it than it deserved to have. And I don't mean that insultingly. Like, it was just like, shit, dude. Like, God, this movie hits hard. And it does. Yeah. And it's surprising when it does. Um, it, that meal, it, it's just that last meal where the dad just, you know, who was kind of like, fuck you, get out of my shit. Like, here's mm-hmm. $25 million. Like, go buy another pig, eat shit. And then just the minute he breaks, you feel every inch of his love for his wife and his family and that scenario you feel all of it and it god it was so great oh shit fun facts uh the release date of this film was one year ago yesterday oh hey there you go as of the day that we're recording this sunday the the 17th it was released on july 16th 2021 so like a very appropriate time hey, for us to there we go uh, yeah, apparently a, a very, very low low budget, uh, very short uh, filming time. It was a 20-day 20, 20 uh, film set. Oh. Uh, originally planned for a few different uh, locales around the globe before they decided on Portland, which I think they could have made this work in any number of like food-centric cities. But I think specifically... Like from from my outside perspective, specifically what I've seen happening in the Portland food scene, I, th- I feel like this was just absolutely like bang on appropriate to to set there. Uh, also, just absolutely, I mean, this movie in general is beautifully filmed, um, but being set in the Pacific Northwest does not hurt your cause. Yeah, uh, you, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of really great fun facts about this movie. You know, uh, the fact that it was only shot in 20 days, which typically movies are around 25 to 26. Uh, you know, for for a movie of this caliber, uh, the budget was so small they couldn't even get a trained pig, and the pig actually bit Nicolas Cage uh, <laughs> multiple times. Uh, to which he he has a quote saying, uh, "I've been in se- I've been set on fire. I've been in flipped cars, but it'll be sepsis from a pig bite that kills me." Uh, he said it jokingly, um, you know, and uh, there's also a, a director's cut somewhere where this movie is about an hour longer. Um, yeah, which this this movie clocks in at about an hour and a half. Uh, yeah, I would say that this movie is paced perfectly. I, I would agree. I would be hard pressed to say that an hour's worth, even any minute's worth could be added that would make it better. I would watch a longer cut of this film just to see where their original uh, vision took it. 
But I, I honestly, like, this is about as close to a perfect film as it gets, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree uh, completely. And this was also uh, um, uh, Nicolas Cage's 100th feature film that he had ever done. So that's pretty cool. Fucking um, wild. Yeah. Uh, so pretty wild. So uh, so there's Pig. Pig is streaming on Hulu in America. It is also available, you know, on demand. It's, it's been out for a year now. So it, you know, you can pretty much get it at any of the buy uh, uh, video on demand services. So should you watch this movie? I, I would say if you listen to this whole episode and still are unsure, um, you should go back and listen again. I think we've been pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you should absolutely watch this movie. I, I think this movie's beautiful. Yeah, and like when when I said at the beginning that I, I can't think of another movie that has subverted my expectations more than this in a very long time. Like I mean that in the best way. I went in thinking like very specifically what I knew this movie was going to be about and it was not at all. And instead it was just such a like heartfelt, uh, like just deep dive into the ideas of, of grief and loss, uh, with a backdrop of food, which is a very important thing to me. I love food. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, uh, uh, I completely agree, uh, in terms of, of this, this is a film about grief and you feel it and you go through it. Um, you know, and you go, you see it different ways of it. I, 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 again, I think this movie is absolutely beautiful and I can't recommend it, uh, any, any more highly. Agreed. Uh, so there it is. That's our last movie of July. We done did it. Uh, we hmm. we have we're now uh, celebrating freedom from July. And uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah. So thanks a lot for listening, everyone. We super appreciate it. Hey, links down below. Uh, Twitter, Instagram. Um, you know, we have our bonus episodes up on YouTube, so you can watch us talk about you know things in uh, popular entertainment of the week. Um, you know, so definitely check that out. If you have not hit subscribe on the podcast player, do that. If you have not hit subscribe on YouTube, do that. Uh, and of course, as always, make sure to share with 100,000 of your closest friends. It is the least you can do. The bare minimum. Mm -hmm. uh, thanks a lot for joining us, everyone. And we will see you next time. A father's tragic past hidden in the adventures of a cartoon mouse. A cautionary tale on the dangers of temporal tourism. A woman searching for answers after the death of an old friend. This is the Storyteller Series, a Night Shift Radio original. Every month we bring a new short story to life in a full cast audio drama. We publish a second exclusive story to our online print edition. And we give you a glimpse behind the pages with our author interview series. Subscribe to the Storyteller Series wherever you listen to podcasts. And visit nightshiftradio.com for more information.